The following message was recorded at Fountain of Life Fellowship in Fountain Valley, California. For more information, visit www.folfcrc.com. All right, I'd like to think with you this morning about your calling. Your calling. So what do you think a calling is? Um, Isn't a calling something like a sense of your life's purpose? What are you called to do? Who are you called to be? I want to think think with you about your calling. The calling answers the question, who am I and why am I here uniquely? And you have a calling, every single one of us. So I want, can I take, can I give you like five seconds to think that out? How would you write that down? What's my calling? How would you answer that for yourself? Who am I? Why am I here uniquely? What's my calling? How would you answer that? For some of you, it's probably really clear. You've thought about it. Um, You've put some thoughts down. For others of you, you might think, I know what it should be, but I'm not doing it. That's maybe how some of you feel. For others of you, you might say, I've I've never even thought about this. I don't know what this means. Well, I want us to think about it today because wouldn't you agree that almost everyone should have at least a haunting sense that they have a calling? Even, you just talk to normal folks, maybe they're not even Christians, people will say things like, I want to make a difference. You ever heard that before? Even nonprofits, commercials, don't you want to make a difference? Look, we're made in the image of God, what do we want to do with our lives? We want to make a difference. Isn't there something just human about wanting to be an important part of something that's valuable? I think we each desire a calling. We need a calling, a sense of belonging and participating. Um, I know I do, but okay, if you need a calling, have you ever doubted the validity of your calling? You ever had those haunting questions where I'm like, "Am am I living for the right thing? Am I doing this right? Am I alone in that insecurity? Um, And so you're doubting if you're on the right track at all, have I found the, my calling? And then we also doubt, maybe I'm on the right track, but maybe I'm just not doing my track right. So I know what my calling is, but I think I stink at it. You ever had that doubt before? I have. Many, many times. And then, not only to think of our own doubts, we think of criticisms. You ever been criticized regarding your calling from others? How you do whatever it is, and you hear, nah, you're doing it wrong, you're on the wrong track. Um, not just that, have you, have you found yourself comparing yourselves with others who have the same-ish calling? You ever do that? And you think, they're so good at this and I'm terrible. Um, what I'm trying to bring up here is we need a sense of calling, but there's also deep challenges to finding that calling and having courage for the calling. And by the way, I think this plays in with motherhood. Isn't motherhood a calling? It's an amazing calling. And don't you feel doubts about it sometimes? Criticism criticism regarding it sometimes? So, So for each of us, we need a calling. For each of us, we're gonna face challenges or doubts regarding that calling. And so the question for this sermon and this text today is, how do you find courage for your calling? Courage for your calling. Strength, stubbornness to know what it is, and then the strength, the stubbornness to 
to remain in it, to not quit, to keep going. The reason I think um, that's what this text is getting at is because we're dealing a lot in here with Paul's calling. So as we're in 2 Corinthians 10 to 13, um, we're in the middle of a long conversation. One reason this text is kind of hard to understand is we're getting half the conversation. You ever done this before? You ever, you ever been in the kitchen or something and a member of your family's on the phone? And you hear the side you're on, right? You hear, you hear what they're saying. And you don't hear what the person obviously on the phone is saying. But what do you kind of do when you're listening to them talk? You almost can't help it. You start putting the, the rest of the conversation together. Based on what you hear on this side, you're, you're imagining, oh, it's probably that on that side. That's part of what we have to do in this part of 2 Corinthians. You're going to see in here, Paul is responding to several different criticisms about his calling. We're going to see what those are. They're saying, uh, hey, you stink at this, you're no good for that reason, you're bad for this reason, etc. You're, you're disqualified. And in each one, we see Paul having this remarkable courage to continue in his calling even though he's facing this criticism. Uh, and so that's what we want to learn from today. Just to give you a little background on the text, the reason this is so important is because the heart of this church um, is at stake. The, very, the battleground here in this letter is, will this church trust Jesus and follow him? Will they do it? So, so look, uh, in the next chapter, we'll see it soon in the upcoming weeks, but look at 2 Corinthians 11, 2 to four. It gives you a picture of what's going on here. In verse two, Paul says, I feel a divine jealousy for you since I betrothed you to one husband to present you as a pure virgin to Christ. But I'm afraid that as the serpent deceived Eve by his cunning, your thoughts will be led astray from a sincere and pure devotion to Christ. So what's he worried about? When I came to you in the first place, I told you about Jesus, a church got started, we're following Jesus, we love him, and what's the danger for this church? That they'd leave him, that they'd leave Jesus. And look at what Paul says in verse four. So if someone comes and proclaims another Jesus than the one we proclaimed, or if you receive a different spirit from the one you received, or if you accept a different gospel from the one you accepted, you put up with it readily enough. So don't you think it sounds like there's these teachers coming in trying to teach a different version of Jesus and what it means to follow him and how to know him? By the way, how important is that question? This is everything right here, right? This is everything. And so Paul, he's, he's not fighting for the church to like him. He has to fight for his role as apostle because he's the way the church knows Jesus, He's the way the church knows Jesus. And so he has to, he's in the awkward place of having to argue for the, validity, for the validity of his own calling so that this church will trust him and keep following Christ. Does that make sense? So we're going to watch a few things here. Um, as we go through this text together, I want to do three major things. Number one, I want to think just about calling in general. It's this Christian term, it's really important. You have a calling, I want, I want us to think a little bit more about that calling. Number two, I wanna see the attacks on Paul's calling and his response. The attacks on Paul's calling and his response. We'll think then a little bit about the attacks on our own calling. And then third, I wanna find courage for our calling. I want you to have courage for God's call on your life because, we, because of Paul's example as we learn from him. 
okay? So if we, three things we're gonna do. We're gonna think about your calling. Number two, consider attacks about that calling. Number three, find courage to live in the calling. Sound good? Encourage me. Tell me how good it sounds, okay? I'm so glad, I'm so glad you're excited, okay? Number one, calling. Uh, calling, I could call somebody on the phone. Who calls who when we're talking about biblical calling? Who calls who? God's on the phone calling you. So calling is a sense of your identity and your life, the trajectory you're on, what he's asking you to do, but it's his invitation that brings you in. Hey, I've got something for you. Let's go. It's his call. It's his initiative. It's his creation. It's his sovereignty. He creates it, communicates it, places you in it. God calls. Do you realize God has a calling on your life? And I can say that to anybody in different ways. The the church for 2,000 years has been calling the world to believe in Jesus Christ. God's calling. He sent his son. Believe. Believe. But I want to think about three specific aspects of calling right now. Number one, identity calling. The identity calling. Look at Romans 1.6. How does Paul, ref- how is, how does Paul re- refer to Christians in Romans 1.6? Including you who are what? Called to belong to Jesus. So uh, theologians talk about the irresistible call. And if you don't know what that is, if you're a Christian, let me just remind you what it, what it is. It's irresistible. It's effective, okay? If, especially if you convert it as an adult. There was a lot of days where you're like, Jesus, don't care, right? You remember that? Jesus, don't care. And one day, something happened. What was it? Jesus, I care. I'm a sinner. I need you. I got to follow you. What happened theologically to you? What did the Spirit do to you? Wake up. I'm regenerating you. I'm calling you. I'm calling you. And it's irresistible because he changed your heart. You're different now. But your calling as a Christian is to, and we read it in the Heidelberg Catechism, my one comfort in life is death is that I am not my own. But what? I belong to Jesus. If you're a Christian, your identity calling, who you are, is that you belong to Jesus. And that's got to that's land hard. The first statement in our mission here at Fountain of Life is grounded in the gospel, Grounded, So that's the idea of feet firmly planted on a rock that doesn't shake. And that rock is the gospel. It's the good news of who Jesus is and what he's done. And, and to know your calling is that no matter what happens in life, good or bad, up or down, no matter what job I have, no matter what role I have, no matter where I fit, any time, in any place, when I'm nine years old, when I'm 90 years old, what? I belong to Jesus. My sins are forgiven. I'm adopted as a child of God. I'm his And if you're his, guess who you are not? If you belong to him, who do you not belong to? Anybody else in the same way? Who's who's primary to you, ultimate to you when you're a Christian? Jesus, I'm his. I'm his. The call of identity, who you are in Christ. Do you know that? Do you know that today, right now? Are your feet firmly planted in who you are? In Christ. Second aspect of calling. You could call it a missional calling. Look at 1 Corinthians 1 1. 
Paul, called by the will of God to what? To be an apostle. It's an incredible job description for him for the blessing of the church. Now, why is it important that he's an apostle? Why do we care here 2,000 years later? The reason we care is because apostle means authority. An apostle saw the risen Jesus Christ and was given authority by the risen Jesus Christ to proclaim Jesus Christ. So here's the all-important question. How do we know who Jesus is and what it means to follow him? You have to hear and know and trust the message of the apostles. You can't know Jesus without the message of the apostles. So we praise God for this role. That's Paul's calling. Now, how many of you think you're an apostle like Paul? <laughs> Let's talk after the service, if that's you, right? No, no. That was his mission to be an apostle. Okay, you're not an apostle like he was. No, you're not, me neither. But do you have a missional calling like he had? You're Christians, you're disciples, you're disciples. So look at what Paul says in Ephesians 4.1. I therefore, a prisoner for the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling with which you've been called. You belong to Jesus, so what should your life look like? We'll keep it simple right here. It should look like you belong to Jesus. You should walk. Walk is just your everyday life. You should walk like you belong to Jesus. So people should see Jesus somehow in your character, in your speech, in your goals, in your desires, in what you want. They should, they should see Jesus somehow. They should hear about Jesus, right? Isn't that one of our callings missionally? Paul is dead so who's going to tell people about Jesus? It's us. It's you. It's me. We're called to glorify Jesus in our lives. So we have a missional calling, an identity calling. Number one, I'm called to belong to him and who I am. Number two, I'm called to live out of that in mission somehow in the world. Third one I want to tell you about today is vocational calling. Anybody ever heard about this? Vocational calling. Look what Paul says in 1 Corinthians 7, 17. Only let each person lead the life that the Lord has assigned to him and to which God has called him. This is my rule in all the churches. Wow. Only let each person lead the life that who? The Lord has assigned. That the Lord has assigned Big question, why are you who you are in your life today? You could answer that in a lot of ways, right? Say, I'm well, I'm the result of uh, my choices in some way. True, yeah, it's true. In other ways, I'm a result of someone else's choices. Aren't you a little bit influenced by other people's choices? Hey, it's Mother's Day, right? <laughs> So, so you've made choices, you're influenced by others' choices, but there's, there's something else going on here as well. You are you today, this time and place, 
because God has assigned this life to you. This life. Now let's be honest, there's a bitterness to that. Is there a bitterness to that for anybody? Does anybody else in here look at their life and go, it's not everything I wrote up. It's not everything I dreamed up. It's not everything I wanted. I've made mistakes. I've broken things. I'm suffering in ways I... Are you telling me, Pastor Matt, that God assigned me the details of my life today in some way? Yeah, that's what I'm telling you. That's what I'm telling you. Don't get too lost in this. Don't be like, oh, good. Well, you know, if you're suffering from bad choices, you can just blame God, right? Is that how this works? It's God's fault. No, we're still responsible. There's mystery there, right? But there is, if there's a bitterness here, there's also a sweetness. Because, you know, originally this message, it was written to, you know, an early church in Corinth. Guess who it has in it? Slaves. Slaves. And if you're a slave in Corinth, And the culture of Corinth, you know, it's full of orgies and wickedness. And so one day you're a slave and your master says to you, hey, scrape the vomit out of the bricks in my patio. And you as a first Corinthian slave can think, my life stinks as you scrub it out. Right? My life stinks. My life is meaningless. I'm absolutely no one. And you meet this Jesus and you hear this identity you have in him. I can be a child of God. And then you think, there's a huge huge conflict here. Am I valuable or am I worthless? And what's amazing about this verse is this. If you will devote who you are in your situation right now, that's your vocational calling. You are called to be you right here and right now at your job, in your family, with your relationships, at your church, and Jesus says, this is what I have for you, and it pleases me when you live this out for my sake. What did that just do to the first Corinthian slave? It raised him up to the mountaintops. You get something like in Colossians where Paul says, if you do anything under Christ, under, for Christ, he receives it. He receives it. And so that slave can scrub out the vomit from the bricks in the patio and say, Jesus, I'm doing it for you. And Jesus can say, and I'm treating it like you're doing it for me. It's valuable because you're doing it for me and this is your calling. Will you do it for me? And the slave's head is lifted. He's lifted because he's called by God to live for Jesus in the place that he's in right now. So question, uh, will later Paul say, hey, if you're a slave and you can get free, go ahead and do it. Should the slave try to get free if he can later? Well, of course, of course. And then his vocational calling might change a little bit, won't it? Hasn't your vocational calling changed over the years? Like some of you, you know what your calling is right now? Obey your mother and your father. That's God's vocational calling to you. You are a child in a family and he wants you to learn and obey your parents. It's part of your call. Can you do that for Jesus Christ? So if you're eight years old in here, does Jesus love and receive your obedience as you live out his call in your life? Yeah. Is your, is your calling gonna change over the years, your vocational calling? Some of these callings never change, right? Right? 
I belong to Christ. When does that change? Identity calling. Never. Your missional calling. I want to live for his glory and everything. I want people to know Jesus. When does that change? Never. Your vocational calling, what you're called to right now, does that change? Oh, yeah, it changes. All the time. I was thinking of the hats I wear. What are my, what's my vocational calling right now? I'm a husband. It's part of my calling. I am called by God to be a husband. What else am I? I'm a father. I'm called by God to be a father and do it for his glory. What else am I? I'm a pastor. I'm called by God to be a pastor. What else am I? Well, I'm a brother. I'm a friend. Blah, blah, blah. What's your vocational calling? It might change tomorrow. It probably will change in six months. It'll definitely change in 10 years, more or less. But where you are right now is God's call on your life today for his glory. And in a way, isn't that awesome? Isn't that liberating? It means there's nothing meaningless. And it means that for the Christian, none of your stories end ultimately in failure. None of your stories end in failure. I'll be, I'll be real honest with you. You, you know what, if you're, on the, if you're on the pastor track, if you're on the pastor track, you know the best way to roll this. If you're on the pastor track, the best way to roll this is out of seminary, get a good associate position at a big, strong church. That's the way you do it. Why? You can learn, you can grow, it's on your resume, and guess what you can look forward to after that? Okay? A big, strong church, if that's what you're into. Okay? I didn't hit that pastor track. Okay? I didn't hit that pastor track. I messed a lot of things up. I messed a lot of things up. And this church, if we're frankly honest, 15 years ago, this church messed some things up. It almost closed. It did close. I messed some things up. You messed some things up. How many of you out here, you messed some things up? It, it, you didn't draw it up that you would end up at this time in this place right here. But I want to ask you right now, is there anything good about this time in this place right here? There is. I like being with you. I, and, you will, and you like being with one another. We, wasn't God sought, like, even though there were mistakes, hasn't he built good things out of those mistakes to where we can say, he has me here right here today, and it's good. That's the, the majesty of God's grace in our calling. It's the majesty of his grace where even things we regret can take us somewhere beautiful because of God's sovereign grace in our lives and in his calling. So I haven't even hit this text yet, but it's, it's the deep waters underneath the text because what does Paul know about himself very strongly that enables him to make it through all the mess he's facing with his church. It's what he always writes in every letter. What does he say? I am called by God to be an apostle. And through thick and through thin, through up and down, through beautiful and through the mess, guess what I'm going to be, Paul says. I'm an apostle. It's my call. It's what God has for me. So think about your vocation, your vocational call. And mothers, wow, if you're a mother today, that is your vocational call, and it's beautiful. 
and that God has given it to you and he's with you. He finds value in what you do for him. All right, let's, let's think about attacks on our calling. If you wanna live your life for Jesus and if you see a call from him in your life about your identity or your mission or even your vocation for him, do you think you will ever face One, your own doubts about the validity of your call, or two, criticism from others regarding your call. Do you think you will face those? Take a number. Your turn is coming. You will face your own doubts and insecurities. You will face criticism. Let's see just a few of the criticisms Paul faced. So he's got these false teachers at this church You see what they're trying to do? They want control over the church, so what do they need to do? What do they need to put their leverage on? They need to pop the Corinthian church away from their loyalty to the Apostle Paul, right? He's given them one message, they wanna give another message. So we gotta stick the the liver in there, push that off so Paul's out of here, that way we can have the, the church. And what do they do, how do they do it? A human being do this all the time. You wanna break one relationship, what do you do? You slander somebody, right? You demean them. And so we're gonna see a few of these. Number one, it's in 2 Corinthians 10, verse one. Look at this. Paul, myself, I entreat you by the meekness and gentle of Christ, I who am humble when face to face with you, but bold toward you when I'm away. He's responding to a criticism. What, is he, what are they saying about him? He's bold when he's away. What are they saying about him when he writes a letter? You see it later, too. Oh, he thinks he's awesome when he's far away. Look at the strong language he puts in here. He thinks he's all that in a bag of chips. But when he was here with us, how did he ask? How did he act? Oh, he was kind. He was gentle. He listened. And so it's their conclusion. Oh, he's, he's a fraud. He's a contradictory. He just, he just wants human praise. So his pride comes out when he's far, and then he's all insecure and humble when he's here. So that's their first accusation. Now, how would, you, how would you explain that for Paul? Hey, it's Mother's Day, so we'll go with mothers. Okay, Mom. Um, true or false, when life is hard, when we're feeling down, when we're insecure, probably one of the greatest places in the world to go to is Mom. Right? What's Mom gonna do? Most of the time, we didn't all have perfect moms. Some of us are missing our moms. We're crying right now. It's okay. We have the gospel, but right, that's what mom, motherhood usually is, and that's what, it, that's what it should be, right? Your mom is so soft and gentle. In fact, when dad's gonna bring down the, uh, when dad's gonna bring down the pipe, right, what's mom gonna bring usually? It's okay, you know? It's okay, but if mom's really concerned with something in your life, can mom come and get you for it? Are you kidding me, right? Can mom bring it down when she needs to? Hey, what's up? This is what's up. Okay, did you ever go to your mom? You're so contradictory, mom. Sometimes you're all soft with me, and other times you're all hard-edged with me. Or did you pretty much get that, I think my mom loves me? You know, a lot of times Paul compares himself as an apostle to a parent. Does a parent sometimes have to speak harshly because you love your kid and you wanna straighten them out? Of course. And is a parent a place where it's always like, I, I love you, I always love you, and you're soft with them when, they're, when they need to be soft, hopefully, right? Isn't that what Paul's doing? Second thing they say about him is that he's prideful regarding his authority. Look down in verse eight. They, for even if I boast a little too much of our authority, which the Lord gave for building you up and not destroying you, 
I will not be ashamed. What are they saying about him? Why are you always talking about being an apostle? Right? Why are you always boasting in that? Jeez, let the title go already. Just be one of us. Do you hear the, do you hear the accusation? And what's his response? Yeah, even if I boast a little too much about our authority, which the what? The Lord gave me for building up. It raises the question, can we be Christians without the apostles? Can you be Christians without the apostles? You ever heard this mess before? Um, I love Jesus, but I can't stand the apostle Paul. You ever heard that one? It's hard, my, my blood pressure goes up when I hear that. First of all, just intellectually, okay? Who is this Jesus you speak of? Well, he's the one I read about, let's go here. He's the really soft, kind guy I read about in Luke. Oh, oh. Who wrote Luke? Anyone? It's not a trick question. Who wrote Luke? Luke, everybody, Luke. And, um, and who, why does Luke know of Jesus? Who did Luke travel with, work with? Luke wrote a second book called Acts, which is kind of like episode two. What do you read about in Acts? Oh, say about one-third of the way in. There's this guy named Saul who sees the resurrected Jesus and everything has changed. And then, you know, the back half of the letter, Luke's always writing, we, 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 we. Paul went and we. Uh, Who was Luke traveling with? Paul, Paul, Paul. And so, who made Paul an apostle according to Luke? Jesus. And how do you know about this wonderful Jesus and what he taught and what he was like in the Gospel of Luke? Luke. Do you see the problem? It was the apostles who show us Jesus, and it's the same group of apostles to which Paul belongs. We don't know Jesus without the apostles' testimony. So if somebody says, oh, I like Jesus but not Paul, the answer is, I don't think you like Jesus as much as you think you do. The whole point of this is that we need the apostles' authority. It builds us up. That's how we know the gospel. It's how we know who Jesus is. Third attack, you can see down in verse 10. They say his letters are weighty and strong, his bodily presence is weak, and his speech of no account. So was Paul a good writer? Uh, you know, even unbelievers want 1 Corinthians 13 in their, in their weddings. Why? If I don't have love, I'm nothing. Uh, love is patient, love is kind, love is it's beautiful. It is beautiful writing, it is high rhetoric. It's wonderful. His letters are weighty and strong. What's he like when he comes and actually climbs up the step and stands in the pulpit and and preaches? We don't really know. Don't have any MP3s from back then, sadly. But there is discussion about how some, especially in Corinth, were very good at rhetoric. It's almost like the performance angle on public speech, public speaking. Apollos and another uh, uh, was famous for how he preached. Really good 
at nonverbals and illustrations, a pleasure to listen to, right? Some people are excellent at that. And maybe Paul wasn't as nonverbally engaging. Uh, there's, a, there's, a, there's a writing about what Paul might have been like a couple hundred years after him. It's probably a little mythological, but there's, it's, it's an early church account of what Paul looked like. And they said things like this. He was short and his frame was kind of low like this and he was bald. Uh, and his eyes were kind of weak. And they said, his, and then they said something about his knees were weird or something. Anyway, but if you can imagine him, right? He's short and he's bald and he's, um, and then he speaks and maybe he's not that impressive in his, all his nonverbals. And they say, oh, you write good letters, but really, you're actually really not very good at what you do. You're mediocre. That's what they're saying here. You're mediocre. You know, it's interesting. How many of the books of his critics, his first century critics, have you been reading lately? Can you mention any of their names? Who are these people? Let's go and be honest. We don't know you, right? Uh, Paul. Did he have an influence on the world at all? Um unbelievable. But, the, but did you hear their criticism? You're just mediocre at what you do, man. You're just not very good. He changed the world. Look at the fourth one. The fourth one's in verses 13 to 16. He says, we won't boast about limits, but boast only with regard to the area of influence God has assigned to us to reach to you. We're not overextending ourselves though we, as though we did not reach you. We were the first to come all the way to you with the gospel of Jesus. So what are they claiming about him here? You're always going too far. You're always pushing it too hard. You're always too extreme. You're always overextending yourself. You know, he's traveling all the time. He's poor. He's, been, he's, he's suffered for the gospel. And they're saying, man, you're just pushing it too hard. You're too extreme. You care about this Jesus thing too much. Paul's response is, how would you even be a church if I hadn't come? How would you even know Jesus if I hadn't come? And then Paul says, not only that, when I get to you again this third trip, I want to go even farther. I want to go to new places to tell people about Jesus. I want to take it even further. Well, you've seen these four criticisms, right? What did they say if we wanted to sum it up? Number one, you're inconsistent. Number two, you boast too much about authority. Number three, um, you're mediocre. Number four, you go too far. Very interesting. Are you ever gonna hit criticisms like these? You ever gonna hit things like this? Um, do people call Christians contradictory? You can hear... In one, on one side, how dare you judge me, right? You ever got that one? It's famous. And then on the other side, um, somebody might say, you let that kind of person in your church? Right? You let that kind of person in your church? How would we answer that as Christians? Well, who's the gospel for? Sinners, right? We should have a nice collection of sinners in here because that's who it's for. Do we let that kind of person in our church? Yeah, we do. And what else is the gospel going to be doing to sinners? It's confronting us. It's telling us news about sin and holiness. Is that a contradiction or is that grace and truth in Jesus Christ? 
Or how about authority? You know, do I claim authority when I stand up here in front of you? Well, not in one sense. I don't have any authority in myself. But I do in a way. Haven't you given me some authority? You have. You, it's as, as the old saying goes, you asked for it, right? Um, you hired me as a role to be a pastor, right? A shepherd, a teacher. And so I don't have any authority in myself, but you gave me some. And the authority is to preach this text, right? With confidence. But when I preach the gospel, should I be like, it might be true that Jesus might be the son of God and he might have died for sins, but if you don't like it, I won't want you to be upset. Is that how I should teach it? Or should I be like, Jesus is the son of God and you need to repent? How can I say that? Do I have any authority? Sort of. Jesus has authority because he rose from the dead. And he gave that authority to Paul. And I'm reading what Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John and Paul wrote with the authority of Jesus Christ, if we interpret it correctly, right? So we should talk with authority. Third, mediocre, this one stings. This one stings. I am mediocre sometimes. Are you? Let's be straight. Are you always excellent at every single thing you do? Just, just not even close. Maybe Paul wasn't the best public speaker. Maybe you need to take classes or something. I don't know. But did God do anything through that man's life? Unbelievable. So does God use weak, flawed, mediocre people? We better hope so. Come on, right? We better hope so. I told you in the beginning that God has called you to a vocation for his glory. And if you heard me say he's called you because you're the best of the best, you heard it wrong. Listen, I'm not putting myself above you. He didn't call me because I'm the best of the best. I am not. We are normal people. We have some strengths and some talents, and we have some flaws, right? Does God call normal people to his kingdom and use them for his glory? Yes, he does. And so we'll get that challenge, but our answer is God's grace to us. What about going too far? People are gonna tell us we go too far. They can tell us we're too extreme for Jesus. How devoted should you be to Jesus? There, there are some relations and vocations that call for a certain kind of balance, right? But I don't know about you, when I married my wife, I want all of her as my wife, and shouldn't I? And we saw it read earlier from chapter 11 that Paul betrothed the church to Christ. We are the bride of Christ. What kind of passion should we have for Jesus? He should be our everything. So we're gonna face these criticisms and more. We're gonna face doubts. How do we find courage to stick to our calling? Here's the last part. How do we find courage to stick with our calling? Number one, remember. Remember. 
We read Romans 1, 6 in the beginning that you were called to belong to Jesus Christ. Look what Paul writes in verse 7 here in verse 10. Or sorry, chapter 10, verse 7. He says, look what is before your eyes. If anyone is confident that he's Christ, let him remind himself that just as he is Christ, so also are we. What is Paul confident about? He belongs to Jesus. When you feel doubt or criticize about who you are in your calling, what do you, what do you need to remember? Paul began this chapter with, I entreat you by the meekness and gentleness of Christ. You face, you face criticism. Maybe you see, uh, by the way, are sometimes the critics right? Or are you always right? Sometimes the critics are right. Do you have anything to learn? Me too. So when you see, ah, where do you run? Chapter 10, verse 1. I, Paul, myself, entreat you by the meekness and gentleness of Christ. What, is, what does that remind you about Jesus? His arms are open for you in your doubts and your sense of failure. His arms are open for you, and he receives you. And what does he receive you based on? How awesome you've been in your calling. No. What does he receive you based on? How awesome he was in his calling. He's the one who did it right. And in his grace, he receives you so you can run to him. And remember, who do you belong to? I belong to Jesus. When you're doubting yourself, you're calling, remember whose you are. Remember who you are and why. You're his by his grace. Second, verse eight, Paul says, even if I boast a little too much of our authority, well, I will. I won't be ashamed. You know, I, I had a sense of calling senior year in college that I should be a pastor. I'm not a super mystical kind of person. I'm not telling you every week God spoke to me audibly. He speaks to me through his word. But I haven't we all had senses when God's like really strongly nudging us about something? I feel like he called me to be a pastor this, this, my senior year of college. And through all the ups and downs, all the doubts, all the pain, that has never gone away. And it keeps me going. And so I want each one of us, whether it's a missional calling or a vocational calling to remember do you have validity in who you are today, right here and right now? Has God called you to this moment? Remember that. Speaking specifically of mothers. Has God called you to be a mother? And is he with you in being a mother? And is he pleased with you as you strive to be a mother for his glory? You know, today's day and age, if you look at too many magazines, especially when you have young kids, if you're spending all your time with young kids, well, what's, what's the world want to say about women like that sometimes? You're not awesome enough, right? You're not awesome enough. You should be taking over the world. You should be a superstar. You should be on the front page. That's what it's all about. That's the true calling. Or the other way around. Maybe motherhood hasn't worked out for you in the way that you dreamed and hoped. Have you missed it? Have you failed? 
Do you have no vocation? Are you not a true woman? No. Who has you where you are right now for his glory and is pleased with your faithfully following him? Jesus, is that enough? It's enough. So even in heartache, you can have a smile on your face. Jesus has me here. Now as you wake up to that, you might realize he wants, wants you to change where here is a little bit. Oh, I gotta do things differently. I, I'm, I'm called to something else. That's totally fine. It happens with vocational calling. It happens with your lifestyle. I, wanna, I gotta live differently. Great. But wherever you are right now, Jesus will take you. And if you say, let me serve you, he will say, let's go. You're mine. Isn't that great? Remember your calling. Be confident in your calling. Third, do it all for the growth of the gospel. I'm summing up verses 13 to 16. Do it all for the growth of the gospel. So let me ask you like this. You have a vocational calling you work at wherever you work for. Why do you work there? You can answer it for a couple reasons, right? We make whatever we make. Good. What does belonging to Jesus mean for how you make whatever you make? And I'm not even talking about evangelism yet. What does it mean for you? It means that where you work, are you, do we want to be lazy for Jesus? Sloppy for Jesus? What do we want to do in our work for the Lord? Excellence, right? Excellence for Jesus. We do it for him. We do it for him. What was Daniel known for when he's working for Nebuchadnezzar? Why did he keep getting promoted? It's because he always wore the sandwich board, right? Turn or burn. And they kept promoting him. I don't think so. Why do you think he got promoted? It's because he was the best at what he did. So we want to do everything in our vocation for the glory of Jesus as best as we can. But then, of course, not only that, we've got people at our work. Why do you have the relational network you have wherever you have it? Neighbors, work. Couldn't it be in part so that you can, anyone, share the gospel? Share the gospel. What about motherhood? Is motherhood for the gospel? Let me throw a stick of dynamite at you. How many of you mothers love this verse? Let's look at it together. Luke 14, 26. These are the words of Jesus. If anyone comes to me and does not hate his father and mother and wife and children and brothers and sisters, yes, even his own life, he cannot be my disciple. Did you see that? Holy smokes. Did he say that? Did he say that? What does that mean? What does that mean? Now, kids, what do you think? Does Jesus want you to be a jerk to your mom? Now you finally have a verse for it. No, because Jesus says some other things too, right? Love your neighbor as yourself, honor your father and mother. What's he saying here? Well, he's a rabbi. He's, he's uh, making it colorful so it'll stick. He doesn't want you to hate your father and mother or anybody else. He wants you to love your neighbor. He doesn't want you to hate yourself either. What does he want you to love so much that every other love looks small in comparison? He wants you to love him. So moms, let me ask you, if your kid, instead of, he's got great grades, instead of going to Harvard, he wants to be a missionary, and he might cost him his life, what do you think? What do you think? 
Do we raise our kids, gosh, do we want them to have good jobs and be smart and be functional and do well in society? Yes. Why? Why? So that they can be sharp tools for Jesus Christ. And so we want to raise kids, right, on Mother's Day for the gospel. I I love that my kids love me. I want them to love me. I don't want them to love me the most. And if I teach them that, I'm teaching them idolatry. I want them to love Jesus. It's a reminder for our vocation. Finally, the last one. Courage for the vocation. Look at verse 17. Let the one who boasts, boast in what? The Lord. Boast in the Lord. You know, earlier Paul talks about the, the failure of comparison. We, we usually do this when we compare, right? Do you ever compare yourself to other mothers, other workers, other fathers, other pastors, other churches, other whatevers? Does that tend to help you when you do that? In one small sense, right, can you learn from other people and improve a little? For sure, but but what's the poison that tends to happen when you compare yourself? You either look at somebody and you look down on them, which builds what? Pride, oh, I'm a great father or mother or whatever. And it's, it's pride, I can't remember, is that good or bad for the Christian? It's not good. So that's no good, or if you compare yourself to someone else, and this is just as common, right? They're a better mother, they're a better pastor, they have a better church, they have a better whatever, they're a better this. What does that lead to in your heart? Insecurity, self-pity. Does that help anything? No. Who should you boast in? Who should you look to? Jesus. Look to Jesus. He has you who you are right here and right now belonging to him through the gospel and in this place and in this time and with these people for his glory. And he is the one who commends or not. He is the standard to which to look. He is the love that we need to receive. Boast in the Lord. And you know what you'll find when you do that? You'll find courage for your calling. You might say, uh, I realize I'm not the best mother who's ever walked the globe, and that's okay, but I belong to Jesus and I'm doing this for him. I'm not the most skilled pastor to ever preach from a pulpit. That's okay. I'm doing this for Jesus and I belong to him. I'm not all that stuff out there, but guess what I am? I'm me and I belong to Jesus right now and I'm gonna do it right here for him. Is Jesus happy with that? He is more than happy with that. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we want to live out our callings for you. We want to be grounded in who you are and what you've done for us and how you've called us. And we want to live it out at work, with our families, with our friends, in relationship. We want to live it out in every way. And so we pray, Lord, that you would give us courage. Courage to uh, belong to you, to trust in you, to stand for you, to live for you, to proclaim you, to show your glory in everything that we do for your glory. And we thank you, Lord Jesus, that in your grace we can. You receive us and you receive our efforts in faith. We thank you for this. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen.
Thank you for listening, and we invite you to visit us Sunday mornings here at Fountain of Life Fellowship. For more information, visit www.folfcrc.com.